this morning, as you can read from your bulletin, the, the title of the message is Asking the Right Question, but not accepting the right answer. I want to welcome those that are visiting here, especially those that have come for the baptisms. We really do appreciate you. It's an exciting time for you as a family, and I'm sure a blessing to you. To just give you a brief moment here, Fellowship Bible Church is about expository preaching, and what that means is we take the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, line by line, and explain the Word of God. We are studying in the Gospel according to John, and we have come to John chapter 10, and this is following a miracle of healing a blind man who was blind from birth. Jesus had identified himself in chapter 10 as the good shepherd. And a lot more could be said and has been said about that. But we left off in verse 21 last week. So we're picking it up in verse 22 this week. The occasion, as you'll see in verses 22 and 23, was the Feast of Dedication. Uh, now, in general, we need to understand that the, about a two-month gap had happened between verse 21 and verse 22. The Feast of Tabernacles, according to chapter 7, verse 1, had occurred, and now time has elapsed. It is now about the time of November or December, or as the scriptures say, it is winter time. This feast is also known, that is the Feast of Dedication, as you see in your Bibles, is also known as the Feast of Lights. And again, to most of us, that doesn't mean much. But if you've ever heard the term Hanukkah, that's what it's dealing with. It is that feast that is known today as Hanukkah. It's an eight-day feast. And in fact, you'll see the candelabra in relationship to that where there would be eight lights on it. That is different from the one that is in the tabernacle, the menorah, which has seven on it. And I'm not here to get into all that depth. But just to mention, it is a separate candle where they light the candle, one for each day. And what are they commemorating? What was involved? It was actually the cleansing of the temple and the rededication of the temple is the occasion for this particular feast. Judas Maccabees, about 164 before Christ, a time that is known as an intertestamental period, that is, from the Old Testament to the New, there was a gap between that, just to give you the background. And in that time, the temple had been desecrated by a man named Antiochus Epiphanes. And what had happened is now they had recaptured it and they had dedicated the temple, and this feast was surrounding that. It was the feast that would dedicate their last deliverance. Their first deliverance came when they were delivered out of Egypt. And God gave them command to observe what we know today of as the Passover. That was to commemorate the coming out of Egypt. Well, this particular feast to the Jews meant that they were to that they were going to commemorate their last deliverance over Antiochus Epiphanes. It was winter, it was probably cold and wintry, windy, rainy, probably not snowing. That was typical, by the way, for the Middle East. And we find Jesus walking near the columns of Solomon's court, and that was because of probably protection from the elements. And that was going on. And we, we, I also should mention that this was not a required celebration like the Passover was. It was not required from the Word of God. And yet as the Lord is walking here, we see that in verse 23, we find out that in verse 24, a question is raised. And that's what I want to get to this morning. And as we get to that, we find out that it is the Jews. Now, who are the Jews? Very briefly, they were the chosen people of God. And this is important so that we understand the question that they're asking. They were the chosen people of God. They were descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That is still true today as far as their descendancy and so forth. 
These were people that were set apart by God to be a testimony to who God was, the one true God of the universe. And they were set aside as a people to be different from the rest of the world, not odd, but different because they would not bow down to idolatry and false gods, but they would be committed to the one true God. Now, in the context, I believe the term is used in a general way here to mean Jews. There were some leaders that were here. There were worshipers that were there at the temple because of the occasion and the feast mentioned in verse 22. And there may have even been some believers that were there. And I'll explain that as I go. But it's in a general way. It's not specifically focusing in on just the leadership, but generally the Jews as a whole. And then it says in verse 24 that these Jews then gathered around him. Literally, they closed in on him. They had heard the things that Jesus had done. They were aware of some of his miracles. They were aware of some of his claims. He had claimed to be the bread of life. He had claimed to give life to the world. He had claimed to be the good shepherd. He claimed to be the doorway or the entrance into eternal life. They had heard these things. And as you can imagine, today, if we had something that was going on of a miraculous nature where it was obvious, not questionable, but obvious to everybody, and there was a lot of claim about the person when he came into their presence, we would also be surrounding him and trying to find out what's going on. And that's the scene that you have here. It was already a busy time anyway because they were there for this feast. And they were closing in on the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice what they said. They displayed what was going on in their hearts to some degree because they tell us what was not known to us or would not have been known to us. And that is something that's inside of them. They gather around him and they say this. How long will you keep us in suspense? Now, I'm going to give you a literal literal translation because I think it's important. The literal translation of this Greek word is, or these Greek words is this. How long will you hold up our souls? Dealing with the inner man. We want to know. There's something inside of us. How long? It's not just keep us in suspense to see what you're going to do next. It's how long are you going to hold up our souls? Our souls are bothered. The important thing about that is they are displaying something that is true with everybody in this room. Everybody outside of this room. And that is God has designed us And whether you accept God or you don't accept God, you are designed in a way, and you know that this is true, that there is an inner need within us, an inner need with man. And everybody wants to know, why am I here? Not just because my parents, but why am I here? And if there is a God, who is he? What's he like? And further, not only that, but what about death? We all know we're going to face death. You heard about some death today from some of the candidates. And we know that death is coming. And is that the end? And everybody's got their philosophies. That's it. It ends. It's in the grave. It's all over. Others say there's resurrection. But whether or not you carry on those conversations with anybody or not, and whether you know me or I know you, irrelevance. You know, and I know, that within us is that inner desire of our soul to really know what is this all about. We want to know it doesn't matter what religion, where we were born, or anything. And that's kind of in their hearts here. While there's some other things because they were trying to trick him that it could be pointed out in the context, within their heart is that desire. Why hold up our souls? Now look at the question. This is kind of interesting because in there, while they're asking that, they say, if you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Now I have a deeper question than that. First of all, the question is, 
related to if you're the Christ. What does that word Christ mean? It means anointed one. If you, that is Jesus Christ, are the anointed of God, or if you, Jesus Christ, are the promised Messiah, that's the idea. When they say Christ, they're talking about the Messiah. They're talking about the anointed one from God. So they're talking about. And they want to know. You know, if you're the Christ, tell us plainly. I have a more elementary question for us today. Why must there be an anointed one? Never mind, are you the Christ? Why do we need a Christ? Why do we need an anointed one? Why should there even be a Messiah? It's even more basic for all of us. Number one, let me give you this. Man, all men, men and women, boys and girls, we know, unless we are really out in left field, one of the old New England expressions, you don't know what that means unless we're totally blind, unless we don't know what's going on, we know we're finite. I would wager, well, I don't want to bet, but you know what I mean, that even in our audience, there isn't a person here that is thinking that I'm going to live forever. Sometimes we think that, but we know it's not true. We know we're finite beings. We know that we were not always here. Our birthday reminds us all the time. And when you're young, you can't wait for more. When you're old, you don't count them. Okay, but the bottom line is we know that we can go back to a point in time. And so we know we're a finite being. We also, unless we're super prideful, know that we don't have the answers to everything. We know that there's some things we just don't know answers to. And as a, a human being, we're finite. We, there's things we don't know. And we also know this. We will not always be here. We're getting older. We're losing our hair. We have to wear glasses. We go to the hospital, the doctors. We know we're not going to be around all the time. Every human being knows that. So we know these things exist. And what we find out is... As we look around at the universe, we have to come, and everybody will come to these conclusions. I don't care whether it's the most brilliant scientist or not. You'll come to this conclusion. Either everything around us that we see, including ourselves, came out of nothing, and that's pretty foolish. Laws of thermodynamics, shoot that one down. Or they could have been eternal. That's not likely, because we're intelligent enough to realize that. Or, though people might resist it, the first cause, whatever that was, let me grant that for a moment, had to start it all. And what we find out in Psalm 90, verse 2, is this. Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth, or the world, from everlasting, all the way back, to everlasting, all the way forward, thou we weren't always here. And as much as we go back to try to find out how everything started, no one was here but the first cause. And God says, I was always here, and I will always be here. Now, how could that possibly be true? Because God is a spirit, and God is a, an eternal being. You see, whether you want to accept it or not, God created the world. By the way, it takes more faith to believe that it evolved than it was created. It really does. If you think you came from a frog, I feel sorry for you. 
If you think you came from a little gas, I feel sorry for you. Because first of all, none of those things are going to give you personality. God has to give us all things, and he's got to be everything that we are plus. You see, the world was created by God, and when God created man, unlike, this is not politically correct, this is a church that's not going to be politically correct, so I'll tell you that already. If you're looking for politically correct, this is not. Man was created unique. He's not like the animal kingdom. He's not just an animal. We were created in the image and likeness of God. All men were. With the ability to worship God. With the ability to fellowship with God. With the ability to communicate through a language. A real language, not sounds. With the ability and technology that's built into us to do the things that we do and advanced technology, God created us that, us that way unique. And when he did, and he was there and we were not, when he created us, he gave one prohibition to man. And it was simply this, and most of you have heard the story regardless of where your thinking is today. The prohibition was do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? Because in the day that you eat, thereof you shall die. That's the consequences. The consequence of disobedience to a holy God is death. What kind of death? And by the way, that's in Genesis chapter 2. The death is both ways. As you know, man was disobedient. And don't men go blame the woman, and women don't go blame the guy. The bottom line is man sinned. And people don't like that term today. But the result was death. Both physically and spiritually. That is why immediately man had to be cast out of the Garden of Eden, out of the presence of God, who was a holy and just God. He no longer could enjoy that fellowship. And then in the course of time, he would die physically as the body wore down. And both processes would take place. And it is through the mechanism of sin, this is all important to this question of Messiah. The scripture says this, Romans 5. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered into the world. How did sin get here? Forget about blaming Satan. I hear too many Christians doing that. Sin got in this world by the word of God. It says through one man. That's how it got here. One man. And what else? And death through sin. That's why there is death and you know you're going to face it. Why is that? You might not like to hear the word sin. You might want to throw it away. You might not want anybody to talk about it. You want to might, you might want to excuse everything you're doing, but you know the realities of the consequence of sin because you also know you will die. So death spread to all men. Why? Because all men have sinned. You see? Man will die physically, but he's already dead spiritually because he's been separated from God. All because of one man's sin. I want to take one second and tell you this. That shows you just how just and righteous God is. Unlike our courts today in our society, man comes from the perspective that, ah, oh, we can overlook sin, we can pardon this one, we can pardon that one. And there are some that have the concept there is no hell. Boy, are they in for a surprise. And they, they have the concept that all my friends are going to be there. Bigger surprise. And they have these concepts of, of that. When in reality, why is there hell to begin with? Because God is a holy God and it demands that if He said, in the moment you sin, death will come, that is the consequence. And God cannot lie. And praise the Lord 
that death came because if he lied then, we would have no basis for believing about eternal life. But because God is God, when he said man will die, when he sinned, death came in. Shows you how righteous God is. But is God is also a righteous God. He's a merciful God and a gracious God. And that leads us to the Messiah. God, knowing that all men have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And it isn't whether you went out and murdered somebody. If you've hated anybody in your heart, if you've committed adultery in your heart, if you've lied in your heart, you've deceived, you are a sinner and come short of the glory of God. But God promised a deliverer. And God promised a deliverer would come, and that was the one called the Messiah, the anointed one of God. Several things about that. I won't take the time to turn you back, but if you are listening a little bit when the verses were on the screen, one of the things I was hoping would overwhelmingly hit you over and over again in those verses in Isaiah was this. I am God, there is none beside me. I am the only Savior. You know why? Because no religion, Fellowship Bible Church saves nobody. No church saves anybody. No religion saves anybody. No person, no religious title such as pastor, priest, rabbi, whatever, saves anybody. The only Savior in the world is God himself who created it all. The only one who knows how it got here is the one that put it here. The only one who knows the results of salvation is the one who's determined how it will be. And his determination was that I will be the one that saves. That is crucial. You know why? Because the Messiah must be God. Because God's the only Savior. That throws out the debate about the deity of Christ. There's no debate. The Savior's got to be God. What do you mean? How can that be? He also must be the one to provide the one to come. And he must be without sin because all men are sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so God promised in time that I will send the Messiah, the anointed one, the one from me. Who is that? It is God himself that came to earth. And while he created us in his image, he took on the form of flesh. We know that as Christmas time, the birth in Bethlehem. And that was God that came. That's why it says in the scriptures, this is God with us. He is the only one who knew no sin. He is the only one who is perfectly sinless. And he had to sacrifice a sinless sacrifice to atone, to take care of, to pay for. With what? Through death. Because the consequence of sin is death. And Jesus Christ came into the world as the anointed one of God. That's who the Messiah was. And the Jews were looking for this one. The Messiah to come, who would deliver us from our sin. They were looking for a military leader and all of that stuff. I understand that. But also one that would deliver them and restore that relationship with God. And the only one that could do that was the Lord Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 53, it says this, The Lord, that is Lord God, was pleased to crush Him. That's Jesus Christ. Putting Him to grief. Rendering Himself, listen, as a guilty offering. He who knew no, knew no sin became sin for us. He absorbed. God didn't overlook sin. He promised a Messiah who could deliver man and provide salvation and a relationship with God. That's the Messiah they were looking for. Men try their own efforts. Men try their own philosophies. Men try religion. And you know what? You might be trusting in yourself. You might be trusting in some religion. You might be trusting in this church. You're in trouble. 
The only one you can trust in is God. And God's provision was in the Messiah to come. We can do nothing. Salvation is not of works of righteousness by which we have done. It's for by grace you are saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. We can do nothing to obtain salvation. These candidates up here, I asked every one of them, are they trusting in the shed blood? That was the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. His death, burial, and His resurrection. We have already seen in John that He didn't remain in the grave. There's a lot of religions with a lot of religious leaders, all who have gone to the grave and are still there. Jesus Christ is not. He rose. And so Israel and men in general need to understand God is righteous and holy. That's why death came. But God is also a loving God and a merciful God. And let me put it to you this way. There isn't a person in this room or outside of this room that had anything to do with their first birth. There isn't a one of us that came into the room of our parents and said, hey, I want to be born in nine months. Would you hurry up and get me here? Did not happen. And you know, we're intelligent beings. We know that. Then why in the world do you think that you can make your second birth something that you did? You can't. One of the candidates mentioned the term about born again and so forth. It's so loosely used. We need to be born from above. God provided the first birth, and God also provides the second birth. He provides the means through Jesus Christ. He provided the sacrifice, and he took death upon him that he might pay the penalty and price for sin to satisfy the righteousness of God so that we, through faith in him, could have forgiveness of sins and the gift, the gift, the gift of eternal life. When someone gives you a gift, you don't pay them back for it. You take it. And if you don't take it and you put it in a corner and don't open it, you get no benefit from it. God has provided salvation through the Messiah. And they were asking, are you the one? What one? The one that was promised that would bring deliverance because no man could do it. David couldn't do it. Solomon couldn't do it. None of those men. Abraham couldn't do it. Isaac, Jacob couldn't do it. None of the religious Leaders of the day could do it. None of the military leaders could do it. But only God could provide it. That Messiah to come, and He did, in the personal work of Jesus Christ. He's the only one that could restore a relationship. And it's nothing that we can do. So their question is this. Just giving you that background of the Christ. Tell us plainly, are you the one? They asked the right question. It is the most significant question that anyone can ask. And really, whether you ever ask it or not, it is the most essential question in your life. When you're asking, why am I here? Or is there life after death? Or is there a God? You're searching out the same thing, really. Because there is a God. There is life after death. And while we could debate that, I could show you that through Scripture. The bottom line, it still all goes back to God, who's got to open up your understanding as to where salvation comes. And it's only found in Jesus Christ. Now, as you see in our text, and we need to wrap this thing up, they asked the right question. They were looking for the deliverer. They were looking for the one that could restore their relationship with God. And let me just pause for a second on this. Even if you say, I'm not sure what I'm looking for, in the innermost being, yes, you are. You're looking to know whether or not you can have a relationship with God. Why? 
because you don't have it. And you know it. No one has to tell you that. You know that. And even though your friends and buddies and all of that, they do their things and whatever, and you think they might, you're hoping they're okay. And you're hoping because they might be okay, you're okay. But you don't know. You don't have the assurance. That shows you have no relationship with God. How do you get it? They ask the right question. Is Jesus the Messiah? But I'm going to tell you something. They did, unfortunately, with many people do. They did not accept the right answer. Jesus answered them. Isn't it interesting in verse 25? I told you. What do you mean you told us? He said, I'm the door. I'm the only entrance into the sheepfold. I'm the only entrance into heaven. He's going to tell them in John 14, 6, I'm the way. What way? The truth and the life. What does that mean? No one comes unto the Father who is in heaven, the Creator, but through me. Not meaning me, Jesus Christ. There's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved, Acts chapter 4. The only one. He's told them. He said, I give unto you eternal life. Shall never perish. I am the bread of life. He's been telling them all along. They refuse to accept it. There's a lot of people today that have heard, they don't need more information. This was not a case of them needing additional information. Sometimes we say, if I just had more information, maybe I'd believe. It's not true. One person said, "If this was a person in hell, by the way, that said, look, i got five brothers on earth. I thought this was a joke. I'm paraphrasing right now, but you'll find this account in Luke. I thought this was a joke. It's no joke. I'm in hell. Relieve me from this pain. If you think there's no life after death, ask that guy who was in pain because he didn't believe it was true, but found out it was. But he remembered something. Shows you this conscious awareness after death. Maybe the body dies. The spirit does not. He says, i got five brothers on earth. Send someone back from the dead. They'll believe him. Jesus Christ said, they've got the word of God. They get all the information they need. If they don't believe the word of God, though someone come back from the dead, they won't believe. Oh, surely they will. No. What's the evidence? Jesus Christ has come back from the dead. And people still won't believe today. You see, men think they're searching for more evidence, more evidence, more. You don't need additional information. The problem is an inner problem. You need a change of heart. Kevin, who I see is here, he won't mind me using this. We've been praying for you, Kevin. I know you got the surgery coming up tomorrow. He's going to have open heart surgery. You know what every man, boy, girl, everyone on the face of the earth needs? Open heart surgery. Why? Because the problem's in here. We need our heart opened up, not this physical thing. We have the information. God has sent His Son into the world out of His love. Jesus Christ has come. He's died on the cross. The Messiah has come. And He showed the evidence. You notice, by the way, in verse 25, He says to them, number one, I told you. I'll get to the do not believe. And then He says, the works that I do in My Father's name, they testify of Me. They had both the Word of Christ and the works of Christ to demonstrate who He is. All men today have before them the work of God where? Just look around at creation. 
Do you really think this planet just exploded out of nothing? Is that what you are? A big gas ball? I don't think so. Again, it's not going to explain your personality. Any intelligent being can look around and see it's got to be more. When you see the intricacies of a baby being born, of the way things come together, the various insects in the animal world, it is obvious that the hand of God. God has given you all the evidence you need, and that's what Romans 1 says. You know what man wants to do? Two things. One, suppress the knowledge that is available to him through creation. And secondly, to say, though he would never do it outwardly, God, I am smarter than you. Because with all the evidence, I don't believe it points to you. I believe we as men are smarter smarter than you. And you know what Romans says? That is how you get into the idolatry that you and I have seen in the world that we live in and we read about. That's where you get gods and goddesses such as Olympus, such as the god Nike, such as all these things in the Olympias gods of, uh, of Greece that are still affecting our society today. That's why people bow, bow down to animals and statues and want to worship things because there's an inner desire to know God, but he refuses to accept what God's given as evidence. God's also given us the word of God that we might know that Jesus is the Christ. And he says, I told you the issue was one of unbelief. My friend, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Stop trying to work for salvation. If you want to know who God is, and you want to know why you're here, and whether there's life after death, you need a personal relationship with the one true God. And it comes to the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Why? That whosoever would believe, not work, not go to church, not follow, the, and I'm not saying those things aren't good, but that a person would believe. And then what happened? But we have eternal life. What do you mean eternal life? We had a beginning. God didn't, but we won't have an end. And we'll be able to be restored to a relationship with God. People ask that question throughout the centuries. You know, it was interesting. It was even asked of a Roman guard. What must I do to be saved? I didn't know I was lost. Every single man who has sinned, and that includes everyone, is a part in the life of God and needs the Lord Jesus Christ. The answer was this. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Why has it got to be Him? Why can't there be ten different ways to get up a different mountain and get to the top? Remember your verses? Because there's only one God and there's only one Savior and He's not like us. He's a spirit being. He created it all and His way was to send a Son into the world and take on flesh to pay the penalty and price for our sin. That's why. So that He would die in a substitutionary sacrifice. Some of you, many of you don't know me, that are especially you visitors. I also, as some of these candidates, came out of a Roman Catholic background. Graduated from St. Pat's Grammar School, graduated from Central Catholic High School. I will tell you this. I was very familiar with the story of the three crosses. And some of you may be as well. What an illustration of how salvation works. Jesus Christ died and one of those people went to heaven. Think about it. He never got down from the cross. He was never baptized. He never went to church. 
What did he do? He trusted in the one who was dying on the cross and he said, he has done nothing wrong. He doesn't deserve what he's getting. And he put his faith in that one on the cross. And it was the words of Jesus Christ that said, this day shall thou be with me in paradise. And I don't think he was just talking about death because the other guy would have been there. In the presence of God. Why? Based on faith. Salvation is based on faith, not on works. Not one of these seven candidates today said that they earned their salvation. None of them did. And no one ever does. The issue is faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. I'll close with this. Peter got the message. Because Peter was asked, who do men say that I am? And he said, who do you say I am? He says, thou, referring to Jesus Christ, art, right back in our text, the Christ. The Son of the living he got it. Paul, a religious leader, got it. He was on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians. Got knocked down. Lord, Lord, what would you have me to do? Who are you? I am Jesus Christ who you are persecuting. And the life of Paul got changed and he believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the man became one of the most, if not the most dominant evangelistic preacher Ever. Philippian jailer got it. A soldier who, after beating the Apostle Paul and Silas and heard them singing, didn't make sense to him. How can they possibly be singing? How could people in a wheelchair come up and want to be baptized and say they've trusted in Christ? How could someone who lost their husband through suicide Still be trusting in Christ. How can that happen? Only when God comes into the life and they come to realize that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and they believe on Him and have a relationship to Him. Matthew, who is a tax collector, an accountant, I can relate to that. I was in accounting working for a CPA firm before I went into the ministry. How can an accountant, how can a tax collector come the same way when he come to realize that Jesus indeed is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and got life through his name. I close with this. Salvation is a free gift of God. You can't earn it. There is a real heaven. There is a real hell. And if you don't believe anything I said, believe this. You will die. And then what? you will face the God who created the universe. And no matter what you thought, will come face to face with the one who has said, I have provided salvation through my Son, Jesus Christ. And just like with these, don't let this be said to you. You had the right question, but you didn't accept the answer. It's because you didn't believe that I was Him. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The Lord Jesus Christ said, Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. You'll find rest for your souls in the person of Christ. All who come to me, I will in no wise cast out. Jesus Christ is the Savior. He's God's provision for salvation. And He appeals to you to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot save yourself. The church can't save you. Only Jesus Christ can. Believe in Him and you will be saved. Let's close in prayer.
Our Father in God, I just thank you and praise you for these testimonies that we've heard. How wonderful it is to see you work in the hearts of people, to change their hearts, to bring them from death to life, from unbelief to belief. We thank you that not a one of these seven are saved because of any effort that they've done. I thank you that salvation isn't resting on this pulpit. It isn't resting on this church. Salvation rests on the sovereign God of the universe. He's provided salvation through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that He is the Messiah. He is the Son of the living God. And we thank you that still all who believe on Him shall be saved. And I pray that if there be in our presence just one person who doesn't understand this, that you'd open up their understanding, that they would come to take the free gift and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin, that they might be saved today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.